Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have a brilliant, brilliant episode for you today with a remarkable guest, a returning guest, author, journalist, and someone with a consistently curious mind, Chip Walter, joins the show. Chip first appeared on Anakin Runway back in 2020, and for me, he left an indelible mark as he was incredibly thoughtful, incredibly intelligent, and I admired him for his perpetually curious mind. He's an author, journalist, National Geographic explorer, filmmaker, and former CNN bureau chief. He has an unusually broad background that spans both science and entertainment. His work reaches out to mainstream audience to explore complex topics that relate to the human condition, human evolution, emotion, behavior, and creativity. When he first appeared on the show, he came on to chat about his fifth and most recent book, Immortality, Inc., which was chosen as one of the nation's top six science books by Malcolm Gladwell's Next Big Idea Club. Tip is particularly fascinated with two seemingly unrelated subjects, human behavior, and the increasingly rapid advance of technology and its effect upon our lives and society. He believes that no technology, no matter how powerful, can succeed unless it connects positively and effectively on a human level. Tip's articles have appeared in the National Geographic, The Economist, and as a journalist and documentary filmmaker, he's been lucky enough to travel to six continents from the Amazon rainforest and the Serengeti to the Australian outback. And as a filmmaker early in his career, he co-wrote and produced two episodes of the Emmy Award-winning PBS series Planet Earth. And if that's not enough, he's also spent part of his time as a screenwriter selling screenplays to Columbia, TriStar, Universal, and Warner Brothers, and his neo-noir script, Sunset Grill, became a major motion picture in 1993. Chip's diverse background and unmatched resume makes him for a great guest. But there's more. There's more to Chip, as he's working on a special project that fits the general ethos of any given runway. In October of 2021, Chip and his wife Cindy sold their house and departed on a journey around the world to visit some hundred countries, all seven continents, and get this, never traveling by jet. His goal, to explore his post-pandemic world to learn what binds us together as a species and conversely what tears us apart. He's maintained his Vagabond blog to share Mumble's meditations and misadventures of his journey. And just this week, Chip and Cindy's adventure took them across the pond as they landed in Europe on their way to Africa. And he had not been off the train in Gare du Nord in Paris for 30 minutes before he jumped on the phone to have a conversation with me. And for that, I am indebted. I've been admiring his journey from afar and incredibly thankful that he found some time to chat with us. On today's episode, Chip talks about where the genesis of the trip came from and how he plans out each location. Chip also remarks about the people that he's met, their diversity, but also the things that they have in common as he's had some unforgettable experiences with locals along the way. Chip discusses the challenges he's faced in regards to the quarantine and pandemic, but these are all things that he came to expect as making a journey across the world through 100 different countries. You're bound to have some hiccups here and there, canceled trains, closures, you name it. 
If Chip hasn't experienced it, he sure will. But for Chip, those little inconveniences make up essentially the reason why he's going. He doesn't want to just get picked up and dropped off in a jet in a new city. He wants to enjoy the journey, which is something that I think few of us do when we travel. Most of us, especially me, I know that I get plagued by the idea of, I got to get there, I got to get there, I got to keep moving, got to keep moving, got to get this next train. With Chip, he's going for a different mentality. The slower route, as he wants to be an observer, he wants to share the stories of the unique individuals, the unforgettable locations, and as we have to follow him along, we're getting a crash course in humanities and sociology and psychology. From what I know about Chip, he also looks forward to the challenges that he does face because he's able to learn more about himself, he's able to evolve, and Perhaps the underlying theme is that he is working towards being more comfortable in uncomfortable situations. He is an unlimited reservoir of knowledge on the human condition, and I could chat with him for days. And incredibly thankful that he gave us some time today. You're going to love him, love what he's doing. So let's go ahead and bring on author, so much more. I don't even know what title we call him, but he's a brilliant human, world traveler at the moment, Chip Walter. And let's learn. Hey, I see your pirate hat. Yeah, you know, I, I was purposely sucking up to you for with that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I am a I'm a Buck fan, so thanks for doing that. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I remember. I remember, and you're you're in my favorite city now. Oh yeah, Paris. You just literally, just have only been there about thirty minutes or so, right? Just came in. It's been nuts. We're still trying to figure out. We have to go to uh, Barcelona and then connect to another train to get to Madrid by tomorrow, and then go to Algeciras the next. The next day, and then the next day, go to Tarifa and take a ferry over Gibraltar. And the never-ending hustle and bustle, vagabond life that I'm sure you're you're loving at the same time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, We're, we are loving it. But it is it has been interesting to try to figure out how to get tickets on different trains. I mean, when you're going through four countries in four days. It's all part of the journey. <laughs> yeah. First of all, thanks for, for joining. I think the last time we talked was almost two years ago, and you had just finished the book. And, and at that point, I think that this travel idea was maybe just getting to kind of blossom uh, to the top of it. Yeah, yeah. We had been, um, we'd been thinking about it. I started to think about it about five years ago. Uh, and we were, I just knew that I wanted to, you know, whenever the book was done, there would be, I, I had hoped, you know, things would calm down a little bit and we would be able to just take off. And I, at the time, I wasn't quite sure how we would take off, you know, or what we would do. I, I knew that I wanted it to be different. I didn't want to just go travel. I wanted uh, something where we could really soak up the different cultures that we were in. And that's when I started thinking, well, maybe we don't fly. Yeah. You know, because if we don't fly, then we're going to be forced in some ways but also we'll just have to soak up like taking these trains i mean normally you just go well okay we'll fly to tangier you know and and with this we have to you know we had to go to the go to new york take the queen mary to london take the train from london to paris paris to barcelona barcelona to, to madrid madrid to algeciras you know, all the way down to Tarifa and then it, and then take the ferry. So, I mean, obviously we're going to see so many people come across. I mean, just coming through Gare du Nord, you know, you, there's all of these different people that are from all over the world that are just, you know, crossing the streets and it's, you know, so it's so exciting. Were you worried that it was going to limit you in some ways by not taking the plane? Um, I, I well, 
we, we did find out that it's very difficult in some parts of the world to travel if you don't travel by plane yeah. uh, or jet, I guess is a better way to put it. We, we might have to take a puddle jumper here and there. But uh, yeah, our initial plan was before COVID struck, uh, our initial plan was to go um, down to the Caribbean through the Panama Canal and then down the west coast of South America to Antarctica. And then COVID shut all the shipping down, you know, and, and part of the way that we realized that we could do that or that we found that we could do it was by cargo ship because everything out in the Caribbean is about flying. There are no ferries or anything. If you're in the Mediterranean, there are ferries everywhere. But in the, and strangely, in the Caribbean, even though things are relatively close, there are no ferries. So getting there was tricky. And that's where the idea for cargo trips came up. But then all of those were canceled and they're canceled through 2022. So that's why we had to take the Queen Mary over, which was fabulous. I mean, it was it was a great experience. It was like being in 1935, you know, uh, so we loved that. And we may encounter problems. I don't know. We get to Southeast Asia. We may really encounter some problems. But I did do enough research to indicate that we can get around the world without flying. Was this your first cruise? Uh, I've only taken one, uh, like I, I took one cruise to, with my daughters to Alaska. And that, that was the only, and that was kind of a carnival cruise. One of the things about uh, the Queen Mary is it has this tradition with Cunard that it's not, you know, a big party ship. It's not huge. There's like, I think it can hold uh, 2,500 people, but it's not like 4,000 or 5,000 people. And uh, you know, so it feels a lot quieter and, you know, more sedate uh, than your average Princess Cruise or Disney Cruise or something like that. And how long did the journey across the Atlantic take? It took seven days, seven days. And I mean, you are, the most frustrating thing about it was for me was there's no internet, I mean, to speak of, because, you know, they're dealing with satellites there's, and, and there's no, even along, even when you go through Newfoundland or along Newfoundland uh, or Greenland or Iceland, there's just, you know, there's, there's not much connection there. So if we were lucky to be able to send an email, uh, you know, that way. Everything is by satellite and the satellite is not high bandwidth. Were there amazing moments of tranquility and peace when you're out in the middle of the ocean? Well, we got incredibly lucky because as we kind of steamed out of New York and that night, the, the, you know, the sunset and we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you couldn't see any land at all. And I walked out and the, a full moon was coming up and then it was a full lunar eclipse. Yeah, yeah. So we were standing there looking at the moon disappear over the Atlantic Ocean at night. And it was so primal, you know, it was, it was just wild because all you saw was sea and the moon disappearing. And, and I, you know, made me think of, of people in the past that before there was any science or anything, you go, oh my God, what's happening? The moon is going away. It was, it was really a moving experience. On your blog, you mentioned one hesitancy of flying was that you didn't want it to just be picked up like a forklift and dropped off in somewhere. You wanted to enjoy the experience of the journey. So in what ways did you enjoy the journey across the Atlantic on a ship as compared to flying in the past? 
Oh, well, you just have more time, you know, you simply can relax, you know, I mean, you're on a train, you're, you're, you're I mean, you're on a, a plane, you're on a jet, first of all, you're, you're shoved in all those lines. And, you know, there's the stress of making sure you have everything that you need. And then you have to get your bags, you know, are you taking your bags? Aren't you taking your bags? And then you get crammed into this little, you know, aluminum box, basically. And, and there's some sounds and noises and a few hours later, you're somewhere else, you know, and you've just flown 30,000, 40,000 miles over an enormous amount of people and stories and places and history and food and, you know, all of that. So, uh, well, the great thing about the, uh, the trip overseas was that, you know, you, you have a, you have a room. You know, you get up in the morning, you walk over, you meet people, met amazing people from all over the world. Uh, the food is great. Things are calm. Uh, you know, you, you can look at the sea, you can sit and read, you know, none of this, you know, really happens. It's not an experience. Let's face it. It's not an experience when you're traveling on a jet. It's it's practical, you know, and, and so far as it will save you time, but you are not going to experience very much except, you know, some pretty bad food if you get any food and maybe a leg cramp. <laughs> <laughs> Embarking on a journey of this magnitude is going to be challenging at any point, but throw that in during a global pandemic. And I'm sure you faced a numerable amount of, of challenges, especially just when it comes to knowing the regulations with each location you were going to. So what were some of the, the hiccups and challenges you faced along the way in regards to the pandemic and quarantine? Well, the, the, well, the first thing was that we, you know, we completely had to change our plans to go to South America and then down to Antarctica. Um, that, that shut that down. And so Cindy, my wife said, well, we're ready to go. So why don't we just stick in the United States, you know, or North America? Um, actually, originally, we thought we would just go to the United States. That was going to be the last leg of our journey. We were going to come in from the West Coast and then go across, uh, you know, through the country and eventually back to Pittsburgh. Uh, but when so I went, yeah, well, great idea. Let's do it. And so we, we got on the train and we took off and we went up to New York and then we went all the way up. We thought we would go to uh, the, the top of Maine. And then a good friend of ours said, oh, you've got to see Newfoundland. So we thought, okay, well, we went up to Nova Scotia and then we just kept on going. We went all the way to the tip of Newfoundland and, and that's where uh, Leif Erikson actually landed a thousand years ago, almost to the day, it turns out, that we were there. Um, and, and so that was you know, terrific. And, and then we went out further, even, even further uh, east and uh and we had a, we just had a great time people are so great there and it's it's so wild up there you know it's like a i mean even people in canada would say whoa you're going to newfoundland uh, <laughs> and so then we worked our way all the way back and then we headed west toward you know by train to chicago and then out to the midwest and then to mount rushmore and uh, the badlands and black hills and and then you know we've gone all through Mesa Verde, Monument Valley, all these iconic, you know, Deadwood, you know, all these iconic cities with all this history and, uh, you know, the American West. And uh, that, that was fabulous. And then eventually we worked our way down to the tip of Baja. We actually drove the Baja 1000. And uh, that was 
also amazing. But that, and so it's a completely different culture. What surprised you most about the Central Plains? Because I know it's a, a region that I, I don't often think too much about. And it's kind of a, a mystery in a lot of ways. Like kind of like what you described about Newfoundland and being like, oh, you're going there. I think a lot of Americans would say the same approach when it comes to, oh, you're going to South Dakota. I think that, so what surprised you most about that location? The beauty of it. And I mean, when we went to Utah, um, well, we all, we all, I was always, because I loved the movie as a kid, um, you know, North by Northwest. Yeah. I always was fascinated with Mount Rushmore, you yeah. know, so we went there. And then, of course, we found out all this history about Mount Rushmore and how it was kind of taken from Native Americans. And, you know, then we went over to Crazy Horse, the Crazy Horse Monument. And that was spectacular. I think I think that might have that might have been the biggest surprise seeing that. I mean. Mount Rushmore is big, you know, 60 feet, you know, the, the, uh, each of the presidents is about 60 feet high. And so, you know, it's, it's literally monumental, but when you go over to crazy horse, which is only about a half an hour drive, it's, it dwarfs, you know, Mount Rushmore another, and that's why it's taking so long to get it done. Um, but that was spectacular. And then going to places like, uh, arches national park, you know, uh, going to uh deadwood um going into a town like sturgis you know where motorcyclists come in i mean they they have seventeen thousand people in that town and in the summertime when the motorcyclists come in yeah. seven hundred and fifty thousand people come in you know so i mean it's nuts and so it was interesting to talk to people about that some people were like get me the hell out of here or oh boy we're gonna make a ton of money yeah. uh one or the other so it was different, but I, but I think that through, I think we spent three weeks in Utah because we went through Moab. Well, Moab, I guess, isn't quite in Utah, but then Bryce and Zion and uh, Escalante, you know, these places I'd never really even heard of. Uh, and the history behind them, the Mormons, you know, the history of how the Mormons came in and their effect on the state. Uh, so, so almost one thing after another, much richer. I mean, you know, the United States is rich, but it was even richer than I thought it was. What's the balance between planning things out and being spontaneous? Oh, <laughs> it's a constant, uh, it's a constant struggle um, or, or not struggle. It's the, the best example or the best analogy I have is it's like driving at dark at night with the headlights. You know, and you can see far enough that you won't hopefully wreck your car, but you don't really see way down the road and don't know what's going to happen next, which way the road's going to go. Yeah. And that's pretty much the way it is. I mean, we, we, sometimes we wouldn't have any idea where we were going until we got there. Um, that was easier in the States. And, and to go back to your COVID question, you know, it, one of the a lot of times while we were out west we could not find a place to eat because not necessarily because COVID closed them but because they were closed down because there weren't enough people working there yeah um and that's still an issue it's still an issue it was an issue in london yesterday um you know so because a lot of people have just changed their minds about work and they're not going back uh so it's 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 harder to do everything uh so anyhow, um, to go back to your question about what was it like out in those those places? So there were places where we didn't we couldn't find a place to eat. 
Uh, we'd be eating ramen noodles, uh, you know, uh, and, and when we went to, well, for example, when we went to Baja, we were simply told, I said, so what's the route? What do you think? And uh, to this, this guy that we met, and he said, well, first of all, don't drive it dark. He said, not because it's dangerous, but because the cows, whenever they cross the roads, he said, they, they don't, their eyes don't light up like uh, a deer's lights do. He said, so you just hit them. You know, you don't see them, you know. Uh, and also, there are these crazy bends and there's no guardrails or anything. So you just shoot, you know, right into a canyon somewhere or something. So we were very careful about that. Uh, and, and so we had this kind of gun it sometimes to get to places before it got dark. Uh, but we managed to get all the way down and, you know, I mean, some of the most beautiful beaches in the world are in uh, the Sea of Cortez along the southern coast of Baja. And then uh, while we were there, so this is an example of some of the stuff that can happen, like the person that said, well, go to Newfoundland. We're down there. Uh, we were in uh, La Paz and ran across a couple that said that they were going to be taking off the following morning at 530. And I, I thought it was a joke at first. And then he said, no, we're really got to get on a plane. And I said, where are you going? And he said, well, we're taking this train called the Chepe Express. And I said, oh, where's that? I never heard of that. And he said, it's on the mainland. And he said, uh, it goes, it rises up into a canyon that's five times larger than the Grand Canyon. And it rises from sea level to 9,000 feet. So we said, I, I just went up to the room and I mentioned it to Cindy and she said, oh, we got to go there. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so we, you know, we had to get back to La Paz. We went down to the tip of Baja and then we went back to La Paz, went over to the Sea of Cortez and, uh, and you get on this train and it takes you up in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we were up in so the, the, the Tara Humara people live there and they're famous for being able to run. Yeah, yeah. Enormously long distances. Yeah. And so about 80% of this, this little town of their Tara Humara, Humara people, they had an unbelievable museum there. I mean, I mean, really, it was just almost a dirt road, you know, in the town, but they had a, a beautiful museum. So then we, and then after that, we had to take a bus down to Chihuahua and then, you know, get out that way. Now, as you've crossed the pond, you are in second and third continent. Going, yeah. going forward, what's the plan there? Do you have a set plan? And are there certain goals that you want to accomplish along the way or certain sites? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there was always a, a general, I mean, I had actually plotted the whole yeah. world trip at one point. But do you enjoy the meticulous detail planning? Are you, do you obsess over it? Is it fun? How does that approach go? No, I'm not great about the detail. <laughs> Luckily, Cindy is better about that. Um, what what I like is like, oh, okay, we'll go to Morocco, yeah. um, and, and and we'll go to Rabat, and we'll go to Fez, and we've got to make sure that we get on a camel and go out in the middle of the Sahara, you know, and that's kind of the general idea. And, and one of the general ideas is to just make sure we haven't done things that we've done before. Yeah. So we're kind of staying away away from Western Europe where we can, because we've been lucky enough to do a lot of those places but you know so we say okay we're going to madagascar i don't know exactly how we're going to get to madagascar i don't know what happens when you get to madagascar i've heard that if you don't have a car it's you and your feet you know so it's a big island so i guess we'll be you know we'll have to find a driver somewhere that'll help us out um 
so it's that it's that kind of thing with this i'm a little disappointed because i wanted to go to more exotic places earlier in our trip but we're kind of stuck i mean we're, we were booking it down to morocco in the hopes that it wouldn't be too hot turns out it's really hot right now um it might cool off a little bit but it's over 100 degrees down there so we're just going to have to that'll be part of the experience um and then we're going to come back i was going to try to go over to tunisia and see carthage you know the history of i mean there's a there's great roman ruins there and the history i love i'm a huge history fan and and so uh we wanted to see that but it's it's going to be too hot so now the plan is we'll come back up go over to portugal go up to nazar nazar i think it's it's called it's a town just north of lisbon with the highest waves in the world oh that's right some waves go up to 80 90 feet now we won't see those because it's summertime but i'm sure there's some pretty big waves there so we still want to see it and uh and then go up to Cantabria and northern Spain and then over into, um, I mean, love love Paris, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, but we're gonna go to the interior and, uh, and then work our way back to Great Britain and up to the Orkney Islands and then over to Norway and then all the way to the, to the Arctic. And then by that time, it'll be fall probably and uh, so then we we'll want to start to work our way down south. And that's the, that's the only reason we're doing that, trying to work it so that as we head south, it'll be getting cooler rather than hotter. Uh, and, and that's something we're just going to have to deal with because the earth is spinning all the time and it's revolving around the sun all the time. And so we just have to think about where we're going to end up. We don't want to be in Mumbai, you know, India and, in, you know, the middle of, July, for example. So a true nomadic lifestyle in that. Thus far, what have been the most memorable interactions you've had with some locals? Well, I was just writing about um, when we were in Mount Rushmore, we, we were getting ready to leave. And because I was such a fan of the movie, I went over to the restaurant, you know, where's this iconic scene where Cary Grant supposedly gets shot and killed. And I, I wanted to be in that restaurant, but unfortunately the restaurant's gone. It was renovated. So I was talking to a woman that worked there, and and then it turns out that she is uh, was a ranger in Mount Rushmore for 14 years, and she got to go to places around Mount Rushmore that nobody gets to go to, and uh, one of the places that she went to, uh, and you're you're not allowed to go there anymore, is the Hall of Records, that not many people know about, but there is this hall that that. Um, Gutzon uh, Borglum, the the man that was the sculptor, you know, he wanted to create this hall of records back there where there was going to be all the records, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all that stuff back in this vault. And then they ran out of money in 1939 because the war was coming on. And so that never got completed. In 1998, they sort of completed it. And she was able to go up there and she said, I think I have some pictures of it. And I said, really, could you send them? And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so she did. And, uh, and so that's actually in uh, the next dispatch that'll be going out. Um, and then Monument Valley was another very, you know, cool place. That's a place where so many, uh, you know, cowboy movies were made and or John Wayne got started and 
people like that. And the whole story of how that became this big iconic place. It's also where um, Forrest Gump stopped running, yeah. you know, right in the middle of Monument Valley said I'm done. Uh, so when we went there, uh, that's all Navajo uh, controlled country. And so we, when we went in to kind of drive around some of the parts that you could drive around to see those amazing, you know, features, uh, geographic features, I saw a guy or I, I saw a corral that was there with horses. And I got up and I walked out and I'm kind of looking around and, uh, and this guy comes out and he says, you know, from, from further about a hundred feet away, he says, can I help you? He had uh, a trailer that was out in the middle of the country there. And, uh, I said, well, do you allow people to, you know, to get on horses and, you know, just ride around here? And he said, yeah, come, come on over tomorrow at noon. And he said, I'll take you out. And so he's a, turns out he's a Navajo shaman and uh, this was his place. And he had about 16 horses and, uh, and they're all Mustangs, you know, which are completely different kind of horse from your normal, you know, kind of Arabian horse that you see in most places. And uh, he just took us out and turns out he almost died from COVID. He told that whole story, he lost four or five people that were close to him. Uh, uh, we started talking about our kids, started talking about what it's like to be a shaman. Uh, and, and of course, we're riding through these unbelievable, uh, I mean, the images are, around you are just, they literally take your breath away. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And he was a really cool guy. And then an additional story to this, I get an, uh, a text, on, I think it was through Facebook, from a woman in Norway. And she says, oh, my God, I'm so glad Jameson is still alive. And I said, well, we're, we're glad, too. Um, how do you know him? And she said, 30 years ago, she went to, she was fascinated with Navajo culture. So she went to just be with Navajo people, and she fell in love with Jameson. And, and they were lovers 30 years ago, and then she moved back, and he's remarried as we met his wife, you know. Uh, but she said, I'm so glad he's alive because now I'm going to go back and visit him. So it's this kind of stuff that happens, you know, that when you meet people and I'm sure the more we, this happens, the more it's going to happen, you know, and the, the more connections we'll make. And, and, you know, we're getting, we're, we're getting great input from people where they'll say, oh, well, you got to make sure you go here and make sure you don't go there. And, uh, here's, here's the best way to get to, to this point or that point. Uh, so it just gets kind of better and better the more you do it. Brilliant. And I'm sure the world will get smaller and smaller too as you continue to meet people. One thing I love about your approach is that you also are trying to be eco-friendly, eco-conscious, and you yes. bring up a question of can you travel and also make the world a better place at the same time? So how's that philosophy been? Well, look, I mean, especially with COVID and with the way things have been politically um, the last you know, particularly the last five years. Um, it just seems to me that people were kind of at one another's throats more than they used to be. Uh, and so I thought, when we go out to do this, let's just sort of subtly, you know, like with my writing, subtly reveal the way people are. And mostly people are good. You know, mostly, and, and when we demonize people, we make them evil. But when we meet them face to face, 
they're not so evil. You know, I mean, every once in a while you might run into a real jerk, but you know, the, mostly, you know, we met people of all, especially when we were out West, you know, people of all stripes, you know, every political spectrum. And we never really discussed it. You know, we just would talk and we would talk about the place and we would, you know, hear their stories and tell our stories. And, uh, and then in, in the writing of this, uh, I'm simply trying to say, I'm not trying to get on a pedestal and say, Hey, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. I'm simply trying to reveal the way people are, you know, this is, this is how it is. This is how, uh, we connect with one another and we are basically connected. And the interesting thing is that we can't truly connect unless we're different. Yeah. I mean, if every, if everyone was the same, it would be, well, as my mother used to say, a really boring world. Um, and, and so we need this diversity yet somehow the diversity gets in our way, but whenever we talk face to face, we bond. So it creates almost a, a network you know, of, uh, of insight and, and knowledge and, and everybody has a story to tell. And every, and it's, if you listen closely enough, almost every story is pretty good. Uh, so that's kind of the idea behind it. I don't want to get up there and say, well, this is going to be a book about how great we are or how horrible we are or anything. It's simply going to be a journey. A pilgrimage is really in some ways what it is and the old sense of the word you know, where we're just trying to walk through this holy land, you know, that we're in the whole planet and, and, and reveal what we find. I like that line, a network of insight. I think that's a brilliant memory of everything. <laughs> but I'll have to note it. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself from the trip? Well, you learn how much you don't know. Ah, brilliant. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> I mean, the more you, the more you, you know, the more you learn, the less, you know, um, and, and it brought it. I mean, the great thing about travel is it truly broadens you. It, it makes you see things that, that you couldn't possibly know because you, you weren't there to know them. Uh, and it's so much fun to learn those things. Uh, I was talking to a guy in, I guess this was just outside of Yellowstone. Uh, I can't remember the town we were in, but he said, oh, you're going to Morocco. He said, well, aren't you worried about getting shot? And he said, don't, they're Muslims there, you know? And I said, yeah, but you know, lots of different kinds of Muslim people out there, you know, and lots of different attitudes and, and everybody goes, oh, wow, really? You know? So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. If the more you travel, the more you begin to see how complex and rich, you know, the world is and the people that are in it are. And, and how much fun that is, you know, and again, it's all about, you know, face to face. I, you know, one of the things I'm saying is we're going around the world, but we're going, it's a personal journey and it's face to face one day at a time, you know? So it's not like we're, uh, you know, trying to take some global view of the world, you know, we're, we're just a couple of people that are moving through the planet and moving around from culture to culture, trying to figure out the language, trying to figure out, you know, what makes Morocco work versus France, you know, and see what happens and, and uh, have some fun along the way. By sharing those stories and sharing those new experiences, you are an ambassador for the world and an ambassador for humanity. I think it's great because you're, you're educating people along the way about the differences in cultures, for example, Islam. You are keeping everyone up to date via your blog on chipwalter.com. 
what can um, people expect from that and how often do you post? Well, posting is, um, is a struggle. I'm trying to make them, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying not to simply say, well, here we went here and then we yeah, did yeah. this. No, I'm trying to provide some insight. I mean, I've been a writer all my life and, uh, and so, and I tend to write books. So this is a different kind of animal for me. And as a result, I think I'm slower than I probably should be because I'm taking my time and I'm really trying to, to be literary, you know, uh, to, to some degree uh, and, and insightful. Uh, but uh, but and also just you have to really pay attention and, and look hard at what's going on around you. You know, you can't just kind of walk your way through it whenever you're writing about these experiences. So... The good thing is that in order that, that to write about it, I have to really be tuned in. Uh, the hard thing is finding the time while you're trying to plan the next leg of the trip. Um, try to get your notes down from the previous places you were working, and and then note them, write them down, and then uh, and then try to write something that makes some sense, you know, and put it in the blog. Uh, so. I haven't been as speedy as I would like. We're probably a couple of months behind where we actually are. Um, but, you know, nobody knows that necessarily. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can just kind of go along for the ride. As it's, it's a little bit like a book, you know, or, you know, it's just something that happened in the past and, uh, and there it is. And, and we're still, we're still alive. <laughs> so, and, and then we, of course, we're trying to post, you know, uh, on Facebook and that sort of thing. But I really do try to put real effort into the images that people see. We even put music into the blogs, you know, um, like there was Western music when we were out West. Uh, there was Nordic music when we were up in Newfoundland, uh, you know, just, just for some fun and really make it an interactive experience. So it's not just a lot of words that say, I mean, there's a million things that'll say, well, here's how you get from point A to point B, you know, so we're not really, we're doing a little bit of that, but, and, and, and we will be writing about how we managed to carry everything on our backs and get, you know, all around the world. It's, it wasn't simple to figure out how to do this in two bags, yeah. you know, basically. I'm looking forward to more of the journey. I'm looking forward to, especially as you venture north. And I'd love to have you back again when you are in that area. We'd love to, love to stay in touch with you along the way. You, you just let me know when you want to get together. And as long as we have some bandwidth. You know, we'll, we'll do it. By the way, I love what you're doing. I think it's so great that you're doing it. And I'm glad you're still doing it because it's really kind of fits in with exactly what we're trying to do. It's just, you know, revealing interesting people and places to the rest of the world. And so it's, it's all good. There were numerous times during today's conversation where I was just like, yes, this is, this is it. This is what we're trying to do. Just thank you so much, man, Chip. I, I, I was thrilled to, to hear about uh, the email when I got it and I said, yes, of course I would love to chat with Chip. And just thank you for taking the time because I know that whenever I arrive in Paris, the last thing I would want to do would be to talk to someone back home. Really no, no. It was a, I've been re I really, I enjoyed the talk we had so much before and so I'm really glad we're doing it. And I hope we can keep doing it, kind of, you know, keep it rolling. 100%, 100%. And I hope a better idea or even just to go up on that, one of our interviews will be in person. Maybe it's in Mumbai. Maybe it's in, who knows? Maybe I meet you down in Antarctica. We'll make it a point to make it in person as well. Oh, that'd be great. That would be very cool. Let's do that for sure. Okay. Well, well we're planning, to, when we come down from the Arctic, we're planning to go through uh, uh, Croatia, Albania, Albania, and, and then on very, eventually on to Greece. So We'll cross paths, definitely. Terrific. That'd be great. Thank you, Chip. This was brilliant.
It was my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. We'll see you around somewhere. Definitely. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Isn't he just incredible? You can follow his journey and stay up to date with his Vagabond adventure by visiting chipwalter.com. And we'll bring him back. We'll bring him back soon to hear more about his journey and cross your fingers. Hopefully we can get a chance to meet up with him somewhere along the way. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. <laughs>